The Atlanta Fringe Festival and the Here Now Festival, in partnership with the Atlanta Radio Theater Company, are proud to present Fringe Radio, a celebration of audio art. Tune in for free from May 27th to June 30th. Enjoy! Hello, Atlanta Fringe Festival. And welcome to Small Fish Radio Theater and Thespinarium. We're your hosts, Rizzovi and Green. And we're here to give a voice to smaller varieties of artistic fish in the big pond. Varieties like playwright, poet, storyteller, and musician. Today, Small Fish Radio is proud to present... Love, Death, Tequila, and Anthropomorphism. A special episode featuring highlights from the past year. And a preview of something from our next live show. So, Green... What do love, death, tequila, and anthropomorphism have in common? Nothing. So let's get started with an excerpt from our most recent show, recorded live in February of this year. Up next, a goose who makes a date with danger and, well, you'll see. Goose Noir by Wendy Schmidt. Wendy Schmidt is a Chicago playwright who has spent an inordinate amount of time observing North American waterfowl. Guilty pleasures include anthropomorphism and jalapeno Cheetos. I never thought I'd be the type to stray from my marriage. Geese mate for life, see? I knew a guy... Wife took a bullet during hunting season. A year later, we found him wandering the same field, calling for her. Yeah, we're monogamous types, all right. We don't stray from our mates, and we never stray from our species. But this dame, this dame, my wife Sonia and I had been happy. Oh, I love you, Billy. We'd been together going on six years, and there was nothing we hadn't done together. We spent our summers on the lakes of Ontario. Come fall, we'd fly into the cornfields of the upper Midwest, and in the winter, it was Arkansas. Oh, I love Arkansas. Yes, the sun in her face, the society parties, Everyone who was anyone wintered in Arkansas, and so did we. So how was the fly? Why, I do love what you've done with your feathers. Had a little turbulence around Champaign-Urbana. Oh, the seaweed pate hot dishes to die for, Peggy. Have you taken a gander at the windmills they put up outside of Branson? We raised four broods of goslings together, Sonia and I. Yes, Sonia and I had been happy. But then there was this dame. She was a pigeon. Her feathers were the color of the ocean off the coast of Mexico. Her body had more curves than a mountain road from 2,000 feet. She had a face like a porcelain doll. And when you looked into her eyes, it was like flying over Niagara Falls for the very first time. She was a pigeon, but she was all woman. <laughs> I'm not sure why Sonia and I decided to fly into Chicago this summer, 
Sonia wanted to see something different. She had a cousin who had moved into the city some months ago, and she wanted to see what city geese were like. Oh, Billy, are those skyscrapers? Yeah, those were skyscrapers. Give me a cornfield any day, but Sonia was pretty excited. We landed on the grass at Montrose Harbor after 14 hours in the air. We were exhausted. Being the gander, I offered to stand watch first while Sonia got some shut-eye. Sonia settled in and put her head on her wing. I scanned the lake, the nearby lawns, the parking lot for any sign of threat. And then I saw her. Pecking at some breadcrumbs one of the tourists had dropped. Her beak jabbed at the crumbs. And it was like a freight train jabbing into my heart. I'd explain why she attracted me that way, but you can't explain the sun. When she looked up, it was like being sucked into a tornado, spinning around a few times, getting motion sickness, trying not to throw up, and then being set down in a bean field six counties away. I knew it was wrong. <laughs> I sauntered over. She was coy at first, but then she said, Say, would you like to see what a Chicago alleyway looks like? I know a great place for stale croutons. I couldn't resist. Her voice sounded like a symphony and her head kept bobbing like a very sexy break dancer. <laughs> we flew over what seemed like miles of black lawns baking in the sun. Those are rooftops. I almost got caught in a telephone wire gazing at her tail feathers. Look out! Her voice was like a cowbell on steroids. We descended into an alley. There was a Chinese joint on the right, an Italian joint on the left. We landed in the middle. It was dark. There was a glow of candles coming from a window. We pecked at the croutons. I'd never tasted anything like it. As we ate, I moved in closer to her. You could cut the tension with a V formation. <laughs> Finally, our wings touched. And then it happened. I was busy near a telephone pole, and I spied something that looked like green corn. It smelled good. So I took a taste. No! <coughs> What's wrong? That's rat poison. Oh, is it? You can't eat that. It kills rats. She took me to a puddle to get a drink. I drank. We both drank. We were like nomads dying of thirst in the desert. But it was too late. I knew it when the knife pain started in my gut. It was like when a female goose lays an egg. Or so I imagine, based on what Sonia had told me. I tried to fly, but it was no use. I staggered down the alley. I'll go for help. But I knew she wasn't coming back. <laughs> Pigeons like that never come back, do they? 
I'm not feeling so good right now. I'm not good at all. This old alley's looking blurry and I'm, I'm finding it hard to waddle. Oh, Sonia! I'll never see you again. By now you've woken up at Montrose Harbor and you're calling for me. I wish I could get a message to you. I wish I could tell you what happened. Sonia! I want you to know however stupid I've been. Oh. <laughs> However dumb I've been. Oh. I loved you, Sonia. I've always loved you. And I always will. Green, you do a good goose. Technically, I was a gander, not a goose. So it should have been called Gander Noir? Nah. Next stop on the anthropomorphic train, one of our earliest studio recordings. And now, How the Squirrel Saved the Fly, as performed by Mary Therese Cazola and Dave Belden. went to the park with my dog. We saw a guy with his dog and we walked for a while. Then the guy's dog killed a squirrel. It was so setting. The guy cleaned the blood off the dog's muzzle at the water fountain and I helped him. I gave him tissues. Then me and my dog went home, where I had set these mouse traps. And I was even more sad for the mice than I had been when I set the traps, not that I've caught any yet. I was sad that I couldn't just relocate the mice. I was sad that I couldn't save the squirrel. Then me and my dog went to my mom's. And in my mom's dining room, this fly was trying to escape. My mom had trapped him between the outside window and the inside window, and he was just standing on the sill, rubbing his two front legs together. And I could see his eyes, every detail of his eyes. My mom and I were going shopping, and my mom said, just leave him there to die. But I couldn't. 
I couldn't let him die, not after the squirrel. If it hadn't been for the squirrel, I wouldn't have thought twice about this fly. I would have let my mom zap him with the electric zapper thing she got that kills flies. But I said no. I worked open the storm window without letting him back into the room, and I watched him fly away, and I felt so... happy. How sweet. So, are we at the tequila part yet? Yes, we are. So pour me a double while we listen to our next two bits, which were recorded live at the 2012 Chicago Fringe Festival. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Lisa Scott with... Tequila in a teacup. Lisa Scott is a Chicago-based playwright and storyteller. Originally from Washington State, Lisa is especially fond of Chicago for its public transportation and back alleys. <laughs> Thank you. Belmont is next. Doors open on the right at Belmont. I'm perched on the L seat. Back straight, hands folded. Rage is exploding in my chest. Three young men ages 17 to 21 have taken over the back of the train. The oldest, black Irish, oh, coolly sexy as he talks about the completion of his seven-year high school plan, distributes coors from a six-pack. He pops the tab and swigs. My lips involuntarily purse in that particular way that says, you can't do that. You're not supposed to. The sexy rebel commands my attention. I wrestle with resentment. Here is a person who can do what he wants. I watch a young woman near me. She's in her late 20s and I read in her long straight brown hair a powerful compunction to conform. She looks at the young men, looks down, looks at them, looks down. And I wonder if she feels a rage as confusing and as intense as mine. As the men exit, she meets my eye. Isn't it illegal to drink on the train? Yes, I say. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to. <laughs> At that moment, I have an idea. Maybe I should drink on the train. It's a small thought, but hot pinpricks of fear cross my chest. Fast breaths. And my dad, long ago, counting to make me go to bed and stay quiet. Three... Two, one and one half, one. Probably. I'll drink on the train. Seeking a companion, I asked my friend Tom, who reeling from a recent divorce is sleeping with college girls and illegally climbing park monuments. I'll do it. If you take it to the logical extreme, you smoke on the train. At that thought, I feel panic. Smoke spreads. The quiet rage of women might give way to the vocal criticism of men. Three, two, one. I can't smoke on the train. I approach Anne, a fellow writer. No big deal. I've always got a flask on me. <laughs> this pokes a hole in my theory about the freedom differential between men and women. 
I reject Anne as someone who does not understand the dreadful need to obey. I decide a companion is weak. I'll drink on the train alone. Afraid, I delay until a particularly depressing date. Based on emails, he seemed good. Um, My date talks nonstop about his young adult crossover fantasy novel centered on an untamed girl named Chance and about the self as an artificial construct. So I tell him about my play, about a man journeying through a war-torn continent in a quest for redemption. Oh, man, do we dislike each other. (laughs) We divide the bill precisely by menu item. As he stiffs me on the tip, I make a decision. Tomorrow, I'm going to drink on the train. (laughs) Before I head out to a play by a young African-American guy who's known as a provocateur, I pack in my black Chanel bag a bottle of Don Julio tequila and a teacup with an orange sunburst and a blue windmill, the last of a set of four my father once gave me because this is how I'm going to drink on the train. (laughs) I can't help myself. I pour three-fourths of the Don Julio into another bottle because if something goes wrong, I don't want to lose all my good liquor. (laughs) And I wrap the teacup in a pillowcase because I couldn't stand it if it breaks. The play was an effort to do something interesting that failed by not going far enough. So with this in mind... On the way home, I board the most crowded car, and I count 15 people, and I take a sideways-facing seat so as not to be discreet. And to get attention, I chat up a young couple cutely nestled over an iPhone. Um, what are you doing? We're looking at TVs. That was short and not successful. (laughs) I smile at a girl with a green streak in her hair. She looks quickly away. Look at me. I want to scream. I am about to do something transgressive. I unwrap my teacup, place it between my knees, open the bottle of Don Julio, and pour. No one looks. (laughs) Teacup in hand. Bottle still between my knees. I toast my reflection in the window across the way. Not a glance. It's a series of quick emotions. Fear still. And joy and ridiculousness. And then just the burn of tequila. The hangover from my date. The sound of the L. The sight of the floor rigid and rubber and swept clean. And then... I see the green-haired girl glance quickly away. Did she notice? Was that a smile? A smirk? Of envy? Maybe? Oh, God, I hope so. On to today's featured poem, Ape, by Will Cooper as interpreted for drum and voice by Miss Kitten and your co-host, Green. 
Will Cooper is a poet and playwright who gapes and apes joyfully with his fellow primates. He's less hairy on the top than he used to be, but he doesn't miss it. That's not where he spends the most time scratching. You're nothing but an ape. Clean shaven, maybe, with fine dental work and credit line, but in your knuckle, brow, and shape, you're ape. Don't deny nature's due. Designer labels won't expel nor lofty thoughts. The smell of creature through and through. You primate, you. It's a fact you can't escape. You picket lice and scratch your back. You murder, screech, and feign attack. At every common sight you gape. You may be smart, but you're an ape. Oh, homo sapien, there's no shame. Your ancestors lived in trees and clutched their babes to crooked knees. Nor is Darwin to blame. Apes and you are much the same. So when next your soul aspires to climb up stained glass spires where heaven shines, look down the shadowed limbs and vines where kin of yore once swung through time. They don't ape us. It's them we mime. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the very first episode of The Adventures of Skater Girl by Chicago playwright Trina Kekasik. Born and raised in Chicago, Trina has a gift for divining free and mostly legal parking spaces and credits her years at Lane Tech High for her ability to weld, work a lathe, pour aluminum castings, and tune up a car if she feels inclined. In this episode of The Adventures of Skater Girl, on a bitterly cold summer night, we find Skater Girl at Buckingham Fountain. In the shadows lurks an old man. So, I wore my ice skates to Buckingham Fountain. But it's July. Right. You have ice skates. Right. You want to join me? If they catch you skating on the fountain. It's the middle of the night. Everyone's home in bed except you. Why aren't you home in bed? Because it's snowing. In July. I know. Isn't it sick? Sick? Sick. You know, cool, amazing, stupendous. And I am about to check something off my sick list. You have a sick list? A list of things to do before you, you know... Stop with all this doing we all do. Don't you have one? As a matter of fact, I have such a list. Sure you don't want to join me? I'll watch. Uh, Make sure you don't fall through the ice. So, your list. My sick list. I sense it. Your age, you probably have pretty much of it checked off, no? Yes, and no. I thought this item would be the most elusive one for me, but look. Ice skating on Buckingham Fountain in July. Suddenly, something swims beneath her feet. Oh, there's something under my feet. Those little orange fish? No, very big. Look, there it goes. Ah, Asian carp. Skated on Buckingham Fountain in July with carp. Oh, what eyebrows that will raise when I am gone. And they skated together for a while. I with invisible skates. So, your list. What haven't you checked off? Ice fishing in Buckingham Fountain in July. 
After their secret late-night ice-fishing and skating party, the old man and skater girl went their separate ways. She to wherever she goes, and I here to my newsstand, where I have made my living for 40 years. As of today, a fishbowl with a large carp sits on the counter. You should put the swimsuit issue in front. You get more business. I have plenty of business. Well, I could fool me. So your list, what on it? How do you know about my list? Not deaf. I hear you and Skater Girl talk list back at Fountain. Tell me most elusive item, and then I tell you mine. Fish don't have lists. Of course fish got list. Everything got list. Even ants and worms got list. What could an ant have on a list? Move that breadcrumb from here to there. <laughs> Take over a giant picnic. <laughs> Fly on back of ego. What is next thing on your list? Reading. Just reading? Just reading. But you sit here all day with all these words. Right. Why you no read? When I read, my eyes get lost and the words come off the page and shatter in the light. I blink and they land. I try again and they shatter. Now, what's the most elusive thing on your list? Oh, well... Isn't it obvious? No. I like to fly with wings in the sky. While the carp and the old man talk about how a fish might fly, Skater Girl thinks she has a dream, even though it seems very real. She sees a floating bed, and next to it, ice skates. In the bed, the Skater Girl breathes. Her heart rate monitor beeps beside her. It goes slower and slower and slower, almost stopping. She wakes ever so slowly. She finds her list slowly. She counts items on it. It's the worst news for the list could be considered complete. Frantically, she searches it for more. The monitor, the breathing, ever more slowly proceed without her. She slips away and away as she sinks more heavily and heavily to the bottom of the paper. <gasps> Bam! Conveniently, she gets an idea. The monitor speeds up as she adds a new item to her list and her heart becomes lighter. She bolts from the bed and escapes through the window. Skipping all the way to her grandma's house. Here, they sit on the kitchen table as they are inclined to do. Wait a minute. Your heart almost beeped its last. Yes, like I was saying, I was slipping and slipping, and I thought, why waste an organ on me? My list is done. Why waste an organ? And I slipped on the slope of the list being done, you know. You skated on Buckingham Fountain in July. With a carp and an old man. This seems important. I, I know not why. Well, then what? I was slipping and slipping down the slope of done. I held my breath to await the worst possible thing, and then it hit me, and I climbed back up. Thank goodness for things that hit you. What was it? It's a surprise for you. Therefore, I need you to come with me. Where? Newsstands. There's an old man with a carp we must find to help him with his list. While he and I were skating, we spoke of our lists and the things upon them, and what he wants to do might involve one of the things on your list. The next thing. Hmm. Is he good looking? He did 
skate with me on the fountain in July. Sounds promising. I'll go with you if you go back and get a newer organ. But I don't need it. I told you. I added an item. What if you find yourself slipping and no pen or pencil to be found? Then what? Then I'll add something to the list in my own blood. Hmm. Good idea. And off to search for the old man with a carp. Then to the fountain they all went where the ice has now melted. Here, skater girl introduced old man and grandma, and then she explained. So, you see, old man, my grandma can read to you, for the thing on her list is to read War and Peace out loud and have someone listen. There. Oh, no, 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 for then won't I have simply completed my list and have no reason to... No, that's the beauty of it all. Not only is War and Peace very long, just as you slip down the slope of the list being done, if you add another and another and another, you can climb back up until you decide once and for all the thing on your list is finally... The end of your rope. I added your item to my list just as I was about to slip down the slope... You? No... You're far too young to slip. But she has an organ that was born very old in her very young body. That happens sometimes. This is terrible. It can be. Depends. You know. You must add a young organ to your list. Oh, no. That will never do, for the installation of such a thing will only lead to things unpleasant. The pursuit of things pleasant is far more enjoyable, thank you. And have you not just checked off the last and most recent of such items? <gasps> so she had. And that very old organ in the very young body skipped a beat or two. Oh, but my wings! Someone help me find my wings, please! Oh, yes! And as she reached into the air and wrote, Find the wings of a fish on her list, her heart became even lighter. For it was widely known, finding wings for a fish could take an eternity. So it could. And the old man and grandma take time to look each other up and down and decide their new arrangement is promising. And the cop and the skater girl begin their journey together. The cop smiles and says, thank you. This reading, is it the last thing on your list, old man? And on his list, the old man wrote another item. Not anymore. And the grandma added Anna Karenina for good measure. You can hear the second episode of The Adventures of Skater Girl on iTunes, recorded at the February show. And now that preview we were talking about. Our next live show will be recorded at Playwrights Pub in Chicago on July 15th, and it will feature our next bit, My Yeti Dreams by Lisa Dillman. Lisa Dillman is a nonfiction writer from Chicago, renowned for her autobiographical accounts of being brought up by and eventually breaking away from a colony of honey badgers. My Yeti Dreams is a true story. My Yeti Dreams is performed by special guest Eleanor Katz and Michael John Kelly. I was never scared in the beginning, not even that first moment when I found him perched on the side of my dumpster, going through my garbage with greedy fingers. He turned to me, and there was something so... Frank in his expression, a wildness 
Yes, but it was more than that. <laughs> then he got spooked and slunk off down the alley. That night, I left a trail of Pringles from the dumpster to my back porch. In the morning, every chip was gone, and there was a big, a very big handprint on my back door. Ah, oh, my Yeti. He had a way about him. Three days later, he moved in. At two in the morning, he scavenges my cupboards, rooting and snuffling in the pantry, prying the tops off all the Tupperware. The sound of chugging liquids, cellophane peeling away and fingers digging out globs of soft meat. Hot, eager breath. He hunches in the spill of light from the open fridge door. Milk cascades down his shaggy chin and neck. Crumbles of half-masticated Pop-Tart and turkey sausage avalanche over his matted chest. What can I say? I deny him nothing. To watch him sate himself is to feel the frenzy of it. We make Sasquatch love right there on the linoleum. I'm naked. He's covered in dark hair, thick as shag carpet. We rut until we become a single, shuddering beast. And this is every night. He sleeps and dreams of primordial forests. Through the grunts and sighs of his athletic slumber, I can imagine the unpolluted colors of his dreamscape, and they are spectacular. He stands knee-deep in a fast-flowing river and catches a fish with his bare hands, slaps it against a rock, then tears at the flesh with his teeth. Scents on the air tell him where to go and when. He hurdles down pristine shaded valleys, scales treacherous jagged hills, stalked by men with guns and video cameras, returning at last to a cave where he drops with a thud onto a bed of pine needles, heart pounding, eyes cunning and watchful. That's where he belongs. And yet, we settle into a quiet life, my skunk ape and I. While I'm at work, he watches random pictures flutter across the television screen, indulges himself with an endless array of snacks, sleeps, dreams. He watches me when I come home, sniffs me all over to find out about my day. The innocence of his empathy is a drug to me. He's learned that he can please me, and he does. (sighs) I arrive home one evening to find him in a state of 
complete agitation. His simian face is pulled into an expression I can't recognize as he brings me a dog-eared mail-order catalog. I don't understand. On page 14, a slouching male model smirks directly into the camera. On his head, a sleek, Weimaraner-colored fedora, cocked ever so slightly to one side. No! No, no, no! Bad! No hats, no shoes, no clothes of any kind, no shaving, no arguing, no logic! And ever since that night, he's always looking out the window. Our nocturnal romps become formulaic. The homecoming sniffs a mere habit. Instinct, yes, instinct, tells him to retreat. So he does, more and more. And that's when I get scared. In the end, I'll buy him that hat and a cashmere sweater, silky pajamas, a few pairs of elegantly draped pants. I'll pick him out a pair of buttery calfskin gloves. Softness will touch him everywhere. We'll walk arm in arm down clean streets and sit in outdoor cafes. My Yeti will learn to drink espresso and cosmopolitans, to laugh at my jokes and touch my arm and murmur so only I can hear. (laughs) But every now and then, lying in the dark, he'll dream of crashing through primitive, tilted landscapes. We both will with uncountable dangers right behind and the pounding in our blood driving us always and forever onward. So there you have it. A serving of Small Fish Radio. You can find this podcast free on iTunes. Just look for Small Fish Radio Theater and Thespinarium. Or on our website, smallfishradio.com. And check us out on Facebook. Click the thumbs up and tell us you like us. Small Fish Radio Theater, giving voice to small fish in the big pond. If you're a small fish, check out our submissions page. And write something for us. This special program has featured the talents of Cat D, Michael Herzovian, Joy Torbjornson Coates, M.T. Cazola, Lisa Scott, Tom Weber on keyboards, and Michael John Kelly. Directing and sound design by Trina Kakasik. Small Fish Radio would like to thank Atlanta Fringe for the invitation. Small Fish Radio Theater is produced by Michael John Kelly and Trina Kakasik. Thanks for listening to Small Fish Radio Theater and Thespinarium.